People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. My guest this week is the Executive Director of Pick and Pay Stores, Wendy Ackerman. And among Wendy's many achievements and awards is the Inyatello Award for Family Philanthropy, as well as being recognized one as Africa's most influential women. Wendy Ackerman has also been recognized by the South African Nature Foundation for outstanding achievement and contribution to environmental conservation, and has been acknowledged by the World Wildlife Fund South Africa as a diamond custodian of Table Mountain. And with a hugely busy schedule, Wendy still finds time to assist the community, a great passion of hers. And among many other interests, she's not only a patron of FMR, she's on the board of Cape Town Opera and of the orchestra and a host of other things. Wendy Ackerman, welcome to the station of which you are such a valuable and much respected patron. Thank you so much, Rodney. It's lovely to be with you. After all these things, and I was just thinking, what am I going to talk to you about? Because you have so many aspects to your life, so many facets. But I think where I'd like to start is to find out where this passion for philanthropy and for fairness and for decency comes from. Is it a family trail? Where, how does that become so strong in your life? Well, to tell you the truth, it's always been there. From when I was the tiniest child, my father, I remember, gave me, he bought a newspaper, and it was tuppence in those days, and I'm really dating myself, and he gave me the penny, and I, I was walking to the station with him, and I said, oh, I'm going to buy a penny lick with this, and then there was a man sitting on the pavement with his hand out, and I said, why is he sitting there? And my father said, well, he's hungry, and he, he's, he's hungry, and he's asking for help. And I gave him my penny. Now, nobody told me to or asked me to, and I didn't get my penny lick. So it seems to be in my bloodstream because my mother worked for CAFTA in those days and various other charities, and um, it's always been there. Mm -hmm. Where were you born and raised, Wendy? Here in Cape Town. Are well, you a Cape Townian I'm girl. a Cape Townian, yes. In those days, when I was born, we lived in Musenberg. Mm hmm and that's what I find so extraordinary that there, that was a perfectly natural thing for you to do to see this handout and give him your money so it's ingrained in you and probably in your family yes yes it's, um, we've always we've always been very strongly against any kind of discrimination and trying to help the underdog I think the appalling holocaust had a huge effect in our lives and I think that that kind of unspeakable discrimination has made a very deep mark in ourselves mm -hmm. and um, heaven forbid that something like that should ever happen again so any kind of discrimination has been an anathema to I know Raymond feels the same way now when all through your life well certainly initially you had to deal with the apartheid system and I think famously there's a lovely anecdote of yours isn't there where you were one of the first shops to appoint black managers over whites getting into trouble with the national party of the day yes Raymond was hauled into the then prime minister's um, office and um, told that he couldn't appoint black managers over whites 
and the Gruberi's actions was thrown at him and so on. And I had given Raymond some letters from the Prime Minister's wives because we don't believe in hiding our light. We, our first black manager was appointed in Rondebosch, in our Rondebosch store, right opposite where all the cabinet ministers' <laughs> wives shopped. And they loved... How cheeky of you. <laughs> well, he was an extremely warm, charming man. Mm. And the customers wrote us warm letters. What a lovely manager and how helpful. And Raymond gave him to the Prime Minister. And he said, Achman Ackerman, get out. I won't change I won't change the law, but I won't prosecute you. Was that PW, do you suppose? No, no, no. It was Forster. Oh, it was Forster. God. Yes, yes. My goodness. And so Pick and Pay also, thanks to you, Wendy, has constantly moved ahead in that way, hasn't it? You've, there have yes. been a number of firsts regarding staff, regarding training, bursaries, all sorts of things that you and I dare say your husband Raymond have been working towards and have achieved. Absolutely. We we were the first to appoint black cashiers and you should have seen what went on in places like the Boxburg hypermarket where they would <laughs> queue, huge queues, 15 people standing with their big trolleys because there was one white cashier and we don't want them touching our food. You know, it was it was so cringe-makingly hideous. Mm. Um, we were the first to recognize the trade unions, not that they ever thanked us for it. <laughs> but And we were the first to give our staff maternity benefits, which is actually a funny story. We gave the ladies nine months maternity leave, which we fixed up with the UIF, and so that they received 75% of their salary and their jobs, guarantee of their jobs back when they'd had their child. So the men came to us and said, well, we also want paternity leave. And he said, oh, really? <laughs> yes, we want 14 months. So we said, fine, you can have 14 months permanent unpaid mater paternity leave. <laughs> anyway, we settled. They got eight days. <laughs> <laughs> the poor old fathers. Another thing that I've noticed you fight against is this business of the early retirement age that we have to deal with here in South Africa. And you've been quite at the forefront of trying to change that, haven't you? Unsuccessfully, unfortunately. The, um, you see, um, the unions insist on one policy for all. Some of our um, w formerly weekly paid workers, because of the life that they have led and the, the enormous problems that they've had to deal with and frequently being the only breadwinner for 10 people, they have burnout a lot earlier than the, manager, the management level. And the unions insist that it's one policy for all and everyone has to retire at 60. Unfortunately, we lose a lot of really, really good brains which are just coming into their peak. Mm. At the same time, unfortunately, we lose people who have got com almost complete burnout and can't co cope with a job anymore. Mm. Very difficult balancing act. Yeah, sure. A very difficult. 
Anyway, at least you work constantly, Wendy, and there's all sorts of things, as always, on this program that I'm dying to find out about you. But let's take our first music break. And what what have you chosen? Um, Mozart. Uh, are yes. you a music lover? I'm an absolute music lover. I'm, music's an extremely important part of my life, and I can't imagine my life without music. And I've chosen Mozart's 26th Piano Concerto, the first movement, because no matter how bad things are or how gloomy everything is, if you play this music, it just lifts you up and you immediately feel better. Music has an enormous effect on my moods, and this one always puts me in a really good mood.
there we leave that rather beautiful music. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's always difficult to fade such beautiful music. Part of the first movement of Mozart's Piano Concerto Number no. 26, uh, the one that's known as the Coronation. And it's sort of not one of the most instantly popular ones, is it, Wendy? You, you think of Number no. 21, famously, or Number no. yes. 23, or whatever. But this one has a special world of its own, as we heard there, doesn't it? It really does, and it's, it's always been very special for me. That's the choice, the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, the Executive Director of Pick and Pay Stores, Wendy Ackerman. But we, we've got so much to talk about that the Pick and Pay story will almost take second place here, Wendy, I have to tell you, because I know there's a big story there. But what I want to find out now is how you got into this business. You've had an extraordinary life, a long and very, very fruitful life, of which I presume you're very proud. After your giving that child a, a coin. Uh, how, what did you do then? Your schooling and university and where and oh, what? Oh, just very ordinary schooling, which I shouldn't say, but I didn't like going to school. I was terribly bored. <laughs> I used to read masses and masses of books. In fact, I think I read most of the books in our school library. <laughs> and, in, and on top of it, books that my father brought home from the library. He was also a reader. But... Um, University for me was an eye-opener. I went to Cape Town University. And my very, as I stepped onto campus, at uh, on jammy steps, there were a whole lot of little booths, tiny little booths, with um, students recruiting you for various, various things. And the one that caught my eye was night school. And I thought, well, I've been very privileged. I've been given a really good start in life. My parents made sure that I had all the kind of advantages, if you might call it, of music and going to the theater and going to the ballet and so on. And of course, all my wonderful books. So I thought, well, I'd like to give back to the community and help people. So I signed up on my very before I even registered at university, I signed up for night school to help the illiterate people in those days um, try and get an education. And it just so happened, I, on my first night there, I met Raymond, who was the, the principal of the school and was running a chain of night schools. Raymond's always been involved in chains. And he told me many, well, years later, that he had to look at all the names of the volunteers and choose who he wanted on his night. And he liked the name Wendy, so he put me on his night. And, well, the rest is history. <laughs> Very much so. And what history in this country. And then when did the retail business come into it? Well... I studied things that really helped me in retail, like I majored in English, history of art, classics. And <laughs> <laughs> I see what you mean. <laughs> and then, and psychology, and then Raymond, when we got married, I got married in my second year and continued my education at Wurtz. So you were quite young when you got married? Very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My father said much too young. <laughs> I didn't think so, but today I, I would say so. Anyway, we he I could see that he was passionate about retailing, and he'd bring me home American magazines on retailing, ask me to read the articles and summarize them for him. And then when he was running stores, he'd ask me to analyze the figures he sh he'd show me and I'd do it for him and he he never once said do you think you can do it 
he just said, will you do this for me? He was the captain of the golf club. Will you just do all the handicaps for me? He, he never, ever for a moment thought that I couldn't do anything. So he asked me to do everything, and I just did it. I never, I never queried it. I never said, I don't think I can do that. I just went ahead and did it. <laughs> and you ask how I got into retail, that's how I got <laughs> into <laughs> by osmosis. Because in those days, the concept of a supermarket hadn't really settled in, had it? It, it was no, still the department store. Absolutely. They were busy. When we got married, they were they took tiny little miserable department stores which were really run down and dreadful and the managing director of the company brought back the idea of turning them into a supermarket so they took away accounts credit delivery service and gave people self-service and nothing in return and it didn't work and Raymond said when you know, having read all these magazines and seen that supermarkets really worked in America, he knew that we weren't there was something we weren't doing and weren't doing right and begged and begged for a trip. Well, of course, they finally gave him a trip, and when did they give him the trip? Straight after I'd had my first baby. Oh dear. <laughs> so it was a big decision to make. I was 20, and I had to decide. Am I going to go to America and study with my husband? Because by the time I'm 40, my son will be 20. He won't need me anymore, and then what will I do? And I made, we made a balance sheet, and I decided, I, we both decided I was going with him to study supermarketing in America. And my mother looked after, my mother and father looked after our son. We were hugely criticized as you can imagine, I can imagine. leaving a six week old baby mm -hmm. and being away for four or five months but um it must it, have been a difficult decision as it you was said almost an impossible heartbreaking decision mm -hmm. but it paid enormous dividends yes. and I'm very close to that son that I deserted. <laughs> and has that decision has ultimately benefited many people, not only your sons, but... We saw the solution to supermarketing. Mm -hmm. And um, Raymond used to write copious letters back to the board and they'd say, oh, he's been carried away by America. And, oh, we've seen it all before. It doesn't, you know, all the mm -hmm. usual cliches. And... Um, he fought very hard and he was able I was able to support him and say I know your ideas are right we've seen them work we've been down we got on a Greyhound bus and went down south and saw first of all we saw the most appalling apartheid down in the south of America and were very upset by what we saw because of the American Constitution mm -hmm. so it was just before civil rights our first trip and then we saw that it worked in communities where the population ratio was the same as here in South Africa. And came back and Raymond took over the stores and it was a constant battle with the board, constant. And in the end it got to a point where it was so bad, Raymond walked out of a board meeting they had instructed him to do something. He said, it goes against every retail principle that I believe in, and I will not do that. And he walked out of the board meeting, and I said to him afterwards, well, I'm surprised you haven't been fired. 
Well, two weeks later, he was. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was coming. Yes. <laughs> and before we go on to see what happened after that, let's have another piece of music. And we have another piano concerto this time. Yes. Now, tell me why you've chosen this. I've chosen the slow movement from um, Beethoven's Fifth, The Emperor. It's the most beautiful, tranquil, moving piece of music. I think very romantic and... After the, what we've been talking about, mm. the huge tension and pressure in our lives, this marvelous calm and uh, take away stress and listen to some a beautiful piece of music like this, that's, um, that's why I've chosen it.
tried to come out of that at the easiest point, Wendy. We obviously had to fade a little bit because that's a good 10 or 11 minutes long. That beautiful and, as you said, tranquil, peaceful movement, the second movement of Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 5, I think one of his most eloquently beautiful slow movements in his output, don't you think? Absolutely. And this is yes. the choice of my guest on People of Note this week, who is Wendy Ackerman. And we're talking about a number of things we've you've done. We've talked about um, how you got into the whole business and the whole business of getting supermarkets up and running. But I want to just explore your love of music, because just very recently, only a couple of weeks ago, there was the launch of Duet and I would like to know a little bit about that and the background of that because I know you that this is basically your idea well what actually happened I've been on the on the board of the opera on and off for a great many years and I've been and I'm the trustee of the the orchestra I'm on the board and I'm a trustee of the opera and I know how they struggle and how frequently it's knife-edge whether the orchestra will continue. We just don't have the support of the government, the city, the the province. They, they give us a bit from time to time, but it's such a knife-edge keeping it alive. The orchestra in Cape Town is 100 years old, and it was started in 1914 in the worst time, when the, when Everyone was going off to fight the war. Millions were being killed, and music was managed. Had, they managed to keep music alive in Cape Town. And the man who started it was the grandfather of a friend of mine. We were at university together. Oh, and he didn't have any money, and he hand-wrote the scores right through the night for the 12 people for the little orchestra that he started. But how to do it come apart, I was tired of this hand-to-mouth existence of both the opera and the orchestra. The opera has something to sell and can sell it overseas and has done very well selling it overseas, but it's, but it's never got any, <laughs> there's never any cushion for them. And I thought we must try and think of the future. And there's the only way to do it is to build an, an endowment trust for both of them. And, and they're synergistic. You can't have an opera without an orchestra. So we managed to get Louis Heinemann and Mike Williams together. They decided that they are happy to have a, a combined endowment trust and they were prepared to support each other, which was wonderful. And unfortunately, we couldn't bring the ballet along. But we, we got this going. It took me a year to get this endowment trust up and running. And we at a point now where I've got some really fantastic investments already and they in with an investment trust. Everything is, as I said, 100% embezzlement proof. <laughs> I made sure that that was... But, and we're just waiting for an 18A tax certificate at the moment and we passed the first step of getting it mm -hmm. so that we will be able to we are building the trust for five years and at the end of five years hopefully it will have risen to a really nice total that will bring in um, dividends and we will use the dividends to support both the opera and the orchestra and we will capitalize we won't give 
out all the dividends, we will capitalize part of them because we must continue to build this endowment trust. Now, Wendy, how are you going to build? You had that very elegant, glamorous launch, as I said two weeks ago, duet. Is it going? How are you going to raise? How are you going to do this? Is it no, through another? I, I, that that was a launch to the public. I had previously launched it with um, a dinner at my home, and I was very fortunate. I was able to get Pinker Zuckerman as the guest, <laughs> <Well done. laughs> the guest soloist, who's the most delightful gentleman and his wife my husband fell madly in love with his <laughs> wife and his wife fell she's madly in love she is she's lovely and Amanda fell madly in love with my dog so you know, <laughs> there's a happy triangle there but um, I was able to have and one of my protégés played the piano and we had two opera stars singing and it was a lovely evening we gave him a beautiful dinner and I'm delighted to say my husband gave me, set the trust of, had spoken to the family unbeknownst to me, and set the trust of with a really lovely donation. And a few other people that evening came to the party and also gave me amazing donations. And I have been visiting the guests since then and trying to get donations because it's not going to raise any money having a concert. We wanted to put, we had the concert to launch it so that the public knew about it. And what we really thought with the public, very often people um, don't have anyone, they they built a, a bit of wealth during their life and they're not sure who to leave it to. Well, duet is there for them to leave it to and we hope that people will remember us in their wills or if or give us donations towards maintaining this amazing orchestra, which is a really very, very fine orchestra, as you know. Mm, indeed. And the opera, which we have launched some of the top voices in the world here in South Africa. Yeah. We have got amazing talent, and we cannot let this talent slip through our fingers and disappear and not sh share it with the world. Wendy, how are you going to keep an awareness of this, as I suppose what I'm getting at, duet? Will you have regular concerts or recitals, or how will you keep it in people's minds? Will there be adverts in programs and things, advertising the fact that there is this organization called Duet? Well, I, this this is for the future, and I've got to. We've got to have more meetings and work out our plans for the future. But in the meantime, we've set up a website. It's a very nice website, and, and Pinker Zuckerman is our honorary patient. He very graciously um, decided to do it. By the way, at that dinner, I only, and excuse me being really vulgar here, um, <laughs> invited people with large checkbooks. And of course, I've got no friends or relations left because they weren't invited. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something you had to do. It was absolutely. again a strategic decision, wasn't it? A absolutely. Of which yes. you've had to make a few in your life. <laughs> I don't think the next decision is important, and that's what piece of music is next because you've chosen a bit of a contrast, Ella Fitzgerald. She's got such a marvelous voice, and she's got such a lilt in her voice. I, I, I just adore listening to her. We were in London recently and they did, at, late at night, there's an arts program and they did a whole program on Ella and it was just a delight to see her from a young woman and to develop into this amazing jazz singer.
summer journeys to Niagara and to other places aggravate all our cares. We'll save our fares. I've a cozy little flat in what is known as Old Manhattan. We'll settle down right here in town. We'll have Manhattan, the Bronx, and Staten Island. That's the voice of Ella Fitzgerald. You can hear, as you said, Wendy, her character. Not only she got that unique voice, but her character comes out in her voice, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I, I, I'm a great admirer of hers, and and her her partner or her friend Satchmo. I, I just love them. They, they bring <laughs> tears to my eyes. Me too. Do you <laughs> like jazz at all? Is there the lighter side? I'm selective in the jazz that I like. Sometimes. I find modern jazz gets too self-indulgent, goes on too long. Mm-hmm. But I do enjoy watching it and and hearing the different people extemporize. It's 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 elevating. I mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. The yes. whole improvisational thing. That, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I find jazz very confusing sometimes, especially in those improvisational passages, yes, which can go on too long. Which sometimes. go, uh, which I, uh, I, very, I very often do, and um, I know my husband and I get into great discussions about it. <laughs> <laughs> Why must you listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> Does he like jazz? No, he, oh, oh, no. He says to you. No, he says. Why must you listen? <laughs> <laughs> Wendy Ackerman is my guest on People of Note this week. Wendy, did you play an instrument or sing or dance or do anything? Um, 
Yes, badly. I I did play the piano. I did play the guitar. I did. I used to sing in the school choir and do solos and so on. But what I've noticed about really good singers is they they have large mouths which become like a megaphone and can project their voices. I can project my voice in speech, but I can't project my voice in singing. So I was never a success. And you know, people say to me. What would you like to have been? And I say, I'd like to have been a singer and believe it or not, a nightclub singer. <laughs> really? Oh, there you go. That's a little secret I don't think many people would know about no. Wendy Ackman. <laughs> Wendy, I want to just go back to your main job because, as we say, I don't know how you managed to fit all these things in. And you're on the board of various things and involved in all sorts of community projects. Uh, we mentioned some of them. But uh, what I found quite, I want to use the word moving, is the way you offered to help your staff with ARVs and the whole AIDS um, crisis and all that, and that you were one of the first organizations actually to give free ARVs to your staff. That's, that's quite a big thing to do. We, um, we were in Australia on a business trip, and a little boy was given tainted blood and became HIV positive. And this was oh, a long time ago in the early 80s. And it was this big news in Australia. And I came back to South Africa and I said, AIDS is coming to South Africa. We've got to protect against this. We've got to, we've got to um, teach the people how to behave with AIDS. And if they have it, how to help themselves. Anyway, the doctors at that point said, oh, don't be ridiculous. It'll never come to South Africa. Nevertheless, I found a young a group of young people who had been thrown out by their families and they lived in observatory there were about six or eight of them living in this house and I got them to come and talk to our human resource department about AIDS how you get it how you can prevent it and so on and from the early 80s we got peer groups going and teaching people how to prevent AIDS and being very, very aware. In fact, one of the young men who lived in this house died. They subsequently all died, but the first one to die, the burial society refused to come into the house and take his body. So, and the, the people in the house had to wash him and, you know, get him ready for burial. So I phoned up the burial society and I gave them a very large piece of my, sure you did. <laughs> my very articulate mouth. <laughs> and um, we never had any more trouble. But um, I got very involved with Mitch Besser, who's started um, an amazing project called Mothers to Mothers. And HIV active mothers were teaching uh, HIV positive mothers were teaching pregnant women how to look after their children and how not to pass on and together we were we were able to get ARVs to our staff we thought you know that we had all kinds of schemes and I'm not sure that this particular one worked if you take ARVs you have to take it at the same time every day and we thought of maybe putting a bell on in the store so that the people who needed to but then in those days it was very difficult because there was such a feeling of um, pariah they an absolute pariah we don't want to touch we're afraid we'll catch it all the education in the world could not get through this barrier so we had to 
rely on the people themselves and and to this day we have peer education groups in virtually every store in the country mm-hmm. how many employers are there employees i suppose you, you oh. won't be able to answer that i'm sure well there they're be. over sixty thousand today I'm sure. yeah, goodness because me. we've got over 1200 stores in several different seven I think different countries in southern Africa and is it true that you go into work to your desk every day you're not retired in grandeur (laughs) no no I I don't go in on a Wednesday Wednesday is my day off but I don't really have a day (laughs) off but I don't go in on a Wednesday but yes I've, I've come to you this morning from my office Okay. And does that mean you still interact with the staff quite a lot? You're still very involved in all these things that you became so famous I've always said that my desk is the last desk before despair. So people who have serious problems and don't know where else to go still come to me, although we've got amazing human resource um, departments right throughout the country and people to help in every sphere. But I've, I've become like a catalyst and can put people in touch with the right people to help them. So, yes, this morning, just as I was leaving, two people came in to see me. As I was leaving, that's why I was two minutes late. (laughs) Well, we excused you. (laughs) And, Wendy, how do you find time to fit all this in? Your day must be very, very full, surely. My day is full. I don't have as much energy as I used to have, but I don't like to be bored. The day I left school, I said, I'm never going to be bored again. And I never have been. Do you garden? Because I've oh, been lucky yes. enough to be invited to your house, and you have a magnificent garden. That's my my big hobby. Between reading, listening to music, and gardening, I love gardening. And I discovered another little secret here, and I'm the recipient of the secret: is that you keep bees and make honey. Oh yes, yes. I've got I've got several hives, and it, I don't. I don't collect the honey myself. I have someone come in, but I w- next time they come in, I want to be there and see how they spin the honey. Absolutely, gosh, <laughs> we're going to have a bee program quite soon on people. Oh, and look forward to that. Now, you do support a number of South African musicians. I know famously Abigail Bushakovitz, yes. uh, who you helped considerably, and Leon Bosch has just sent you a sort of initial copy of his brand new CD called Leon Bosch double bass Josef Chevera Brett the Catalan virtuoso and you brought it with us shall we play you, you're in touch with him still are you Leon oh, Bosch oh yes yes I when he comes out here we I'm we meet and when I go to London I frequently see him we have lunch or he comes to he's come to a couple of the um the opera um the opera choirs the, um, performances that we've had there and in fact I think he came with us to Porgy and Bess oh, okay. so um, yes I am in touch with Leon and he now famously left the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields and yes. pursuing a solo career what a fine musician and what a lovely man oh he is lovely this he is really a track is. from the Catalan Virtuoso this brand new CD on the Meridian label featuring Leon Bosch
Now that's Catalan music because this CD on the Meridian label is called the Catalan Virtuoso featuring Leon Bosch, the South African double bass virtuoso, as you heard there. And a choice, the last choice of my guest, Wendy Ackerman, who's been with me on People of Note this week. Wendy, it's been fascinating and inspiring actually talking to you because of this boundless energy you have. And I don't mean running around because obviously there's that as well because you fly around and go to meetings. But just this energy you have to fuel the passion for philanthropy that you have. And that's not going to go away, is it? No, definitely not. I, I was up most of last night looking at the fire out of one, my bedroom window, watching the fire on the Tokai Hills, mountains. Mm. And I, I was just horrified and thinking of all those poor people, especially on... The, we could also see the fires in Hout Bay and thinking of all those people who squat there and losing the little they have and what are we going to do to help them mm-hmm. um, which I, I've already had an SMS from my one son saying what they're doing to help the firemen and so on so yes it's very much on my mind Gosh, Wendy, you really are giving back to society aren't you you and your husband after the very successful career I mean you've worked hard for your career you didn't just land um, with a silver spoon in your mouth you've had to work hard haven't you and we've now worked hard all our lives you have and now you're giving back to such and, an extent well we feel that we've both we both feel that we've led a very privileged life we have a very lovely family which are just about all of them are around us very few people can say today that then all their children live in the same town as they do which which ours do and we we just want to share and and to help people where we can and pass on that that we don't sit back smugly and say that we, I don't know. We, we just can't. We, <laughs> we just can't mean. do that. We so retirement that. is out of the question. Yes. <laughs> I know you famously said in one of your interviews that in your dictionary there's no such word as retirement. Right. <laughs> so that's not going to happen, thank goodness. But you must keep well then and make sure because you're such a valuable asset here to Cape Town. And Wendy, are you? You know how negative people can be about the country. Are you positive? They always say leaders deal in hope. I think that the country is bigger than the government. And we are still a very, very young government. And people have still got to learn how to govern. And I think we will learn and we will get through this. And if we look at the history of what France went through after their revolution, what Russia went through, what America went through, and look at them today. We can't expect it to have happened in 20 years. Give us time, and I'm sure that things will be much better in the future. Wendy Ackerman, thank you for being so inspiring and stimulating and for all you do and for getting time to come in to see us here at FMR and all strength to your arm. Thank you so much for having me, Rodney. I've enjoyed being with you. My guest, Wendy Ackerman on People of Note this week and People of Note is brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions.